there is nothing better than to be introduced by a good friend. Quite a great gift. Thank you. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. What a great gift it is to be with all of you. I want to first begin by thanking all the people who have made this time for us together possible. Think of all the people, all the planning, all the details, all the prayer that has gone into our lives being here today. We all need people that we can belong to, knowing that being with them is coming home. Let me repeat. We all need people we can belong to, knowing that being with them is coming home. When Priscilla and I are with all of you, we are at home. Thank you for making us so welcome in the body of Christ. Well, we're going to start this morning. What I'd like you to do is, uh, for the person right next, just please stand, because we're, we're going to have a lot of this here. Just stand, and with the person right next to you, just tell what kind of person are you on your best day? What, what kind of person are you on your best day? Just talk, what kind of person are you on your best day? All right, now talk with each other. What kind of person are you on your not-so-good days? What kind of person are you on your not-so-good days? All right, thank you. Every group of two, join with another group of two so that you're in groups of four. And now introduce your partner based on your best day and your not-so-good day. Each group of two, join with another group of two so you're in groups of four. Introduce your partners based on what you are on your best day and your not-so-best day. All right. What I invite you to do is please have a seat. Please have a seat. And um, just 30 seconds of silence, 30 seconds of silence. What did you become aware of? as you talked with one another about your best days and your not-so-good days, what did you hear in your conversations with each other? Just 30 seconds of silence. What did you become aware of? Can I hear from a couple? What did you become aware of? In that just says brief interactions. I'd just like to point out this. There's, there's, there's always truth. There's all, whenever you hear laughter in a group, somebody's spoken the truth. There's always truth in a joke, a child, and a glass of wine. <laughs> so so, so what, 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 did we just, what did we just hear? That my husband, even on his worst days, is an amazing person. It's great love. What else did you hear? We're all the same. We have so much more that's in common than which divides us. We are all part of one body, if you will. Thank you. Yeah. 
and that, that's, always, that's always the case in terms of where is it that my intentionality, where is it that my energy is going? Is it out towards others or is it focused on myself? Yeah, the, the best days that the Holy Spirit is very active in my life. We kind of, kind of feel that spirit that's moving through us. We'll, we'll talk about that. And I'm giving life because the spirit is a life giver. The worst days is when I seem to shut that spirit off, when I've created barriers. And seems really bad in the storm, but when it passes, it's a lot better. We, we, we've all gone through those levels in terms of darkness. People who have walked in darkness have seen a great light, but sometimes it's very difficult when you're in the midst of the darkness to remember that. I was doing this with a group of high school football players a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what's really difficult right now is getting young men to go out for high school football, particularly in rural areas, because if you have the option of running and doing wind sprints when it's 90 degrees or playing with a handheld device, you know, it's a, it's, you know how do you make those decisions? So we had these young group of men. You have to encourage young men. And so I did this with them. And I said, what did you learn? And there's a young man sitting over here, a small guy, got a headband on, and his coaches had told me that his parents are going through a difficult divorce. It's really important for him to be on the team this year. And I said, what'd you learn? And he looked at all of us, and he said, what I learned is whether we're having our best day or our worst day, I have a responsibility to love you. See, what happens when we come to a group like this, we're going to have moments and we're going to just be blissful. There's going to be moments when we're not at our best. And yet, what happens? We love each other. Service is love made visible. I do not know of another group where people are so consciously and deliberately wanting to serve other people. I watched you last night with your children and your grandchildren loving your children and other people's children and what it must be like for those of you who have brought up young adults and you see your children now taking care of other people's children as other people's children have taken care of your children. Joy is the infallible sign of God. We are in the presence of God. There's joy here. Mother Teresa says joy is strength. My understanding today is that joy is an act of rebellion. No, there's so much that divides us. There's so much despair. There's so much to be depressed about. Is that not true? And yet to nurture joy, you're free. When Nelson Mandela was elected president of South Africa, 27 years he's imprisoned. 27 years they tortured him and tried to kill him. And he survives to become the first black president of South Africa. And when he gets up on stage, he has his jailers on stage. What was he communicating to the nation? We are going to focus on the best of us. And then he reads this marvelous poem from Marianne Williamson, and it says this. Here the president of South Africa in 1996 says this. We were born to make magnificent the glory of God that's within us, and it's not just in some of us, it's all of us. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. 
Isn't that extraordinary? And then after he read that, do you know what he did? He danced. Why? Because when you're danced, you're free. You're free. Free to love. Free to be engaged. Not bound up by the fear and the pain and the anxiety that so often bind us up or imprison us. So to come into a group like this, this community who has lived and breathed the Spirit of God for over 30 years is a great gift. Thank you. Thank you. Now, what are your expectations? What is it that you need to walk away with? All of you, all of you have put your lives on hold. I know that while you're sitting here, no one else is responding to your emails. No, I, I know that while, while, while you're here, there's all kinds of levels of responsibility. And here we are, the beginning part of August. Many of you with children are beginning to think about the beginning of a new school year. You all have parental responsibilities. You also have responsibilities within your own families. Your lives are very full. And yet you chose to be here for these next four or five days. What do you need to have happen in your life? Talk with the person right next to you. What are your expectations? What's going to make this time valuable for you? Just talk with each other. All right, can I hear from you, please? What are the things that you said or you heard? What are some of your expectations? What is it that you need to walk away with here in the next few days? We live in an interesting time. We have never been more connected and disconnected at the same time. More connected and disconnected at the same time. It is just rather extraordinary. Last night we stopped in Culver's at, at Alexandria. Um, and, uh, well, you, you cannot... You know, when you get away from home, you can't forget the cheese, you know, so you stop at Culver's, and uh, we're from Wisconsin, and, and there was a gentleman who had this lovely, I wish she, but she was nine or ten years of age, and she just, she had her malt, and she was so excited, and she was trying to get the attention of her father, who was sitting in front of the television and looking at his handheld device. This beautiful nine-year-old that all she wanted was a smile from her dad. And I'm sure he was saying, well, I brought her to Culver. She got what she wanted. <laughs> but I think that's what it's like with all of us. We hunger for community. And so we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, well, one of my themes is going to be community. And if you want a great community, you have to want it more than anything else in your life. And you have to rework at it. So that's this great gift. Okay, what else? Sense of community. Yeah, the first commandment is, a, is the first one for a reason. If God's not first, God's not God. Just by the very definition. So we'll talk about that, being present. Please, what else? I'll come back to this. Wherever I go, people are soul weary. Soul weary. So you go off on a long, long weekend, freaking out to kind of get away, and you come back and you're still exhausted. You go on a week's vacation, and now you're ready for another vacation. Because the, the level of weariness is at a deeper level. And we'll talk about that. Thank you. What else? Priscilla and I have been married for uh, 37 years. And... Um, uh, What's really amazing in our marriage, we've experienced a spiritual rebirth and praying together um, every night. And Priscilla said to me the other night, 
wouldn't it have been wonderful if we had been doing this 25 years ago? So I want to just tell you, all those who are newly married, all those who have young children, your being here, what a great gift that you've been given. Some of us came to it later. But I cannot think of a greater gift that we can give our children today than the gift of faith. We think about all the opportunities we want to provide for them, educational opportunities or the things that we want to provide. There's no greater gift we can give our child in terms of faith. And so that, that this is a gift that's been given to all of us, but we need to share it. Talk about that. Anyone else? Dan is a younger man who's been growing up in this environment all your life. What is it that you need this weekend? One of the things I want to tell your brother is this. You'll never have too much fun. All the time that I was growing up, one of my elders told me, got to work harder, got to work harder. Ridiculous. Nobody had to tell me to work any harder. They had to tell me to have more fun. Have more fun. You, it looks like you're having it already. But this idea, how is it that we encourage other people to adopt joy? Well, joy is a gift of the Spirit, isn't it? All right, anyone else? Uh, this, this is so significant. I'm um, in a new book, and I'll be referring to this fully charged by Tom Rath. Tom Rath is one of the authors of the Gallup. Uh, he wrote Fill Your Bucket, Strings Finder. Um, Tom Rath has a new book called, called Fully Charged. And he's looking in terms of the meaning of our lives. Not looking in terms of happiness, but the meaning of our lives. And says this, first, you have to have a higher sense of purpose. What's your, what's your, what's your greater purpose? Second, what are, the, what are the quality of your interactions? And so when we ask Americans, how many positive interactions did you have yesterday? What percentage of your interactions yesterday were positive? Do you know what they would say? 14%. I think about that in terms of our marriages. How many of our interactions, what percentage is positive? So begin to focus on it. All right? Repeat after me, EFHD. E One more time. E One more time. EFHD. E if your expectations E... For something are not met, EF, for something are not met, it leads to hostility and despair. If your expectations for something are not met, it leads to hostility and despair. So if you were expecting, if you did all this work planning and preparing in order to come here, and there was no sense of community, well, that was a waste of our time. If we never had the word of God pre preached to us in terms of the primacy of God's presence of our life. Well, that, I wasn't expecting that. If we didn't have time for quality conversations, if there was no time for enjoyment, if our family didn't have a chance to grow in faith. See, what's really interesting, all these years since I've known Pete and Patty and all of you, how you doing? What can I do to serve you? How can I serve the needs of other people if I don't ask them? Pay attention to what other people expect. That's our role. Jesus was always asking people, what is it that they needed? And then he responded to those needs. We must do the same. Go out for dinner, you order out eight-ounce tenderloin, Tim. They give you a little four-ounce shriveled meat, piece of meat, send it back. I wasn't expecting that. 
And wherever you go today, people have high expectations, don't you? I mean, our children have high expectations for us. The people that we work for have high expectations. A man I know is a friend of mine, he had high expectations for the young man that his daughter was going to marry. So he insisted on a pre-fiancé interview. <laughs> they sat down, future father-in-law, future son-in-law. Tell me, what kind of job do you got? Oh, I don't have a job, but God will provide. I see. Where are you going to live after you get married? You got a place to live? No, we don't have a place to live, but God will provide. I see. Do you have any money saved up? You know, things do come up in marriage. Do you have any money? No, we don't have any money, but God will provide. I see. So he went downtown and had some coffee with his friends. He said, say, how's that new son-in-law going to be? Well, he seems to be a fine fellow, but he thinks I'm God. I'm not God, you're not God, but each and every day, you and I are called to do God's work. And what's God's work? To know, love, and serve God in this world and the next. And so what as I saw last night, for those of you who have young children and grandchildren here, I saw you knowing, loving, and serving your children with dignity and grace and holy foolishness. Good work, hard work, noble work, holy work, our work. Now, what can you expect from me? Two things. Um, my uh, newest titles, I don't have this. I didn't send this to you, Pete, but I, I gave myself a title. Yeah, I thought after all these years, I'd like to add something. You know, I'm getting close to the end, and Josh probably thought I'd have a title. So my title, I'm an ambassador for goodness. I'm an ambassador for goodness. Wherever I go, I just confront good people with how good they are. I remind good people how good you are terrific. And particularly right now in terms of my life, because I'm a little bit older, it's always younger people, because most people I'm talking to are younger than myself. I am just so tired of people my age with gray hair going, oh, young people these days, oh, young people these days. Have you ever heard that? Oh, young people these days. I tell you what, I was back there in the 60s. We weren't so hot. Oh, young people. Did you see those young people last night? College-age people who have all kinds of responsibilities and debt, and what they are, they're here being with our children. And do you know how those children idolize us? You've watched this all your life. Oh, young people these days. What generation volunteers more than any other generation? People 18 to 25. Oh, young people these days. Who have we been sending to Iraq and Afghanistan for the last 20 years? Oh, young people these days. It's the role of us who are older to reflect that goodness back into the lives of other people. Why? Because when you're young, you haven't had enough experience or confidence. So I'm an ambassador for goodness. January 7th, 2015. I'm standing at the Kalahari in Wisconsin Dells, speaking of, getting ready to speak to 300 farmers. They're introducing me, they're talking, beginning the introduction, and my pocket goes off. I pull out my phone. I got a smartphone. I don't know how to use it, but I got it. <laughs> All of us in our 60s, we have smartphones. We don't know how to use them. That's why we're always going up to younger people. Can you help me with this app thing? <laughs> why do we got smartphones? Because we're getting grandchildren. We're hoping that somebody will send us a picture of a grandchild. It's just amazing. So I pull out my pocket, and Priscilla, Priscilla, how'd you get in there? Tom, <laughs> Megan, our second oldest daughter, is driving to the school going to work in Chicago, and the water broke. She's in downtown Chicago having our first granddaughter six weeks premature. 
our son-in-law is in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Our daughter's in downtown Chicago, having our first grandchild, six weeks premature, and Priscilla's just at home freaking out. And here's our speaker, Tom Thiddle. Goodbye, I gotta go. Put her back in my pocket. <laughs> well, I got up on the stage, and you can imagine I was a bit distracted. I said, This is what's going on in our lives. My daughter was going to work this morning in downtown Chicago. The water broke. She's in downtown Chicago. She's having her first grandchild. Six weeks premature. It's going to be a little girl. My son-in-law's in the northern suburbs of Chicago. My wife's at home just frantic, not knowing what to do. That's what's going on in her family. And once I told them the truth, I was able to relax. Isn't it amazing? Once you tell people the truth, you're just able to relax. Just kind of let go of all that. This is who I am. I can be no other. I got done with the speech, and I walk out the stage, and at the bottom of the stage, there's a guy about 5'10", with shoulders like axe handles, has a blue shirt on. Larry, come here, he says, and he hugs me. This is unusual behavior for farmers. And then he won't let me go. He holds onto my waist, flips open his wallet. Look at that. Look at that. There's my granddaughter. Five years of age, full of life. She was born six weeks premature. Your granddaughter's going to be just fine. I'm praying for you and your family today. Did I need that at that moment? Oh, brother. Oh, fellow human being. Got your back. Isn't that our own lives, too? Isn't that what this Christian community should be? Hello, brother. Hello, fellow human being. Whether you be on your best day or your worst day, got your back. We belong to each other. Part of the goodness. Now to show you how it all comes around, six months later, I'm in Dubuque speaking to another group of farmers. Right now, quite honestly, I'm on the farm circuit. <laughs> they consider me to be a moving speaker. Okay. <laughs> so I'm telling the story about, about Larry, and in the middle of he starts waving at me. This, are you going to hug him? Are you bet I am. There he is. We become friends. Every time we see each other, we hug each other. Last time I saw him was in Madison at the Professional Dairy Producers Convention. He said, come here, brother. And we hugged each other. And then he says, now it's your turn. My wife's health is failing. I need your prayers. We reap what we sow. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. We are all here today because there are other people in our lives who sowed the seeds of faith, hope, and love into our lives and nurtured them when we couldn't nurture them for ourselves, supported and tended us so that we could become the people that we are today. St. Paul writes, we, we reap what we sow. Brothers and sisters, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Paul, writing to that community. In 1992, I began my study for a doctorate of ministry at Luther Seminary in St. Paul. I went up there with one of my good buddies, Bob Leckler, and we met an amazing woman by the name of Margaret Stimler. This woman was leaking steam. The glory of God is fully alive. Margaret was giving God glory every day of her life. And she said, you need to meet my friend, Darby McDonald. 
His name is Phil, but everybody calls him Darby. So we arranged for a meeting that September, and Darby made the pilgrimage to La Crosse, Wisconsin. And he walks into the room, and he's tall, handsome, thoughtful, funny, and he loves Jesus. Seeds were planted. Darby introduces me to Patty. Patty introduces me to Pete. Pete introduces me to Barb and Steve and Paul and Corrine, Karina and Paul and Mike and Fran and all of you who have become parts of our lives. Because Darby McDonald loved Jesus. And he wanted to share that love of Jesus with other people. And he did it by bringing people together in terms of camps where people sang together and played together and ate together and prayed together and got to know Jesus together. So last night as I was sitting here and I was watching all of you, I was fond of remembering that. And I remembered when you said, well, when's the last time we all kind of got together was at Darby's funeral. And it was an amazing funeral. Because at that funeral, Jesus was praised and Darby was remembered. They had a little funeral pamphlet that they handed out. And here, what was written about this good man who had served God's people for over 60 years. It was Darby's last words to his grandchildren. And he said to them, Jesus came to me when I was a young man and said, Darby, follow me. If you don't, your life will be pretty much the same. If you do, I promise you a wild ride. Friends, buckle up. We're in for a wild ride. A wild ride. Because the Lord of the universe has called each of us together. The Lord of the universe, who is the source of all goodness, wants us to experience that goodness. How do you know that you're in the presence of goodness? Three things. One, there's joy there. Whenever you're in the presence of goodness, there's joy. Not in terms of happiness and pleasure. You can produce happiness. You can buy pleasure. But joy is the gift of the Spirit. Last night, there was this little boy. He must have been about two years of age. And he's just running across. I thought he was going to topple at any moment. Dressed in a red and black flannel. Only in Minnesota would you dress a child like that. A small little Paul Bunyan. <laughs> and he was just running and trying to follow all the big... It was just like a moment of joy. God had exploded onto the, onto the into this room. Joy. Whenever there's goodness, there's joy. Too. There's a sense of peace. Did you just sense it as we were singing today? There was just no anxiety. Just a level of peace. Three. You want to stay. The most difficult part of this camp is Sunday morning because people want to linger. <laughs> I don't want to leave. The disciples didn't want to leave the mountain after the transfiguration. Can't we just pitch a tent and stay here? But how do you know you're in the presence of goodness? There's joy, there's peace, 
You want to stay? How do you know in your presence when there's not joy, when there's not, when there's not goodness? When your presence is, we don't talk about there's evil. What's evil? Instead of experiencing a sense of joy, what do you experience? Sadness, depression, despair. What happens in terms of evil? Instead of a sense of peace, there's confusion and fear. People do not gather. You do not have community where there's evil. Destroys us, tears us apart. And third, you can't wait to get out of there. So what is our job? All of us, we are missionaries of goodness. And as Paul the Apostle says, we spread them bountifully. Why do we do this? Because the people who have gone before Tim, before us have done it for us. Darby gave me this. I saw him for years reading out of this copy of his Bible, and I said, Where? He says, Well, I got an extra one here, so let me give it to you. And isn't it interesting when somebody gives you a book, they, they write something in it. And all of us have tons of books, but the ones you never get rid of is that it's got a little something written. Tom. Reading this book is like rewiring a house without shutting off the power. <laughs> I value our friendship so very much. And this partnership we have in sharing the good news of Jesus with kids and others. With warmest regards, Darby. Friends. We are stewards of a legacy, not our own. We have been given the gift of faith by those who have gone before us, who have prayed and sacrificed, who have built our communities and our churches, who have handed on to us their love of Jesus and their commitment to God's people. Good work, hard work, Noble work, our work, what a gift it is. At a graduation at Viterbo, I'm standing in the back of the room. I give the graduation speech for two reasons. One, I'm free, and two, I'm there. <laughs> so I'm standing in the back of the room wearing my cap and gown looking like a clown, and I'm watching all the graduates come out, and a guy comes up, and he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he spins me around, and he takes his... <laughs> index finger, a big thick index finger, and he jams it in my chest. Sir, my daughter just graduated tonight with her master's degree in education. My father, her grandfather, had to quit school in the fourth grade when he was 10 years of age because my grandfather, his father, died of a heart attack. And my dad had to quit school in the fourth grade to save the farm. And by the time I was a sophomore in high school, 16. My dad was so broken down from working all those years that I had to quit school in order to save the farm for our family. He never finished grade school. I never finished high school. But tonight, his granddaughter, my daughter, got a master's degree in education. 
and I just thought somebody ought to know. <laughs> Human beings are flesh and blood, memory and hope. Human beings are flesh and blood, memory and hope. Most camps, most vacations, you go to get away from it all. <laughs> get away from work, get away from our families, get away from our regular responsibilities. This camp is different. This family is not to get away from it. This family is to get in it. This family, this, this camp is about embracing all that God has given us. Recommitting ourselves to who and whose we are. Recognizing that the goodness that has been shared with us must be shared with other generations. And it's our responsibility to bring this to the world. I not only speak to groups of people, I listen in our conversations. That's why Priscilla and I sat over on the side. I thought the first night you shouldn't have me listening in. You see me at a tavern at McDonald's, you best move because I'm listening in. I'm not a peeping Tom, I'm a listening Tom. Well, it's amazing what you're listening to, the things you're not supposed to, you know, holy smokes. So you ask people, well, how you been? Oh, we've been busy, been busy. Have a little vacation this summer? Oh, no, we're just too busy. Going to take a little time off in the fall? Oh, no, we're just too busy. Busy, busy, busy. It's like we're all saying to each other, listen, I'm going to have my heart attack before you have yours. Busy, busy, busy. <laughs> oh, oh, and we enjoy being busy. Oh, we enjoy. Oh, we're, we always complain about being busy, but we're all, we enjoy it. Don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. How many of you make lists? Those of you who raise your hand, you want to raise your, those of you who make lists want to raise your hand so bad right now. And how many of you who make lists, you do something that's not on a list, so you're ready down so the joy of checking it off? And then people say, well, how you been this morning? Oh, I've been busy, busy, busy. Holy smokes. In fact, we've come to disdain leisure. We don't take time for silence or solitude. We avoid it at all costs. So families, instead of sitting with each other quietly, pull out their phones and see if I can find a, a stranger or something that can distract me. Fill up every empty moment with noise. Everything faster, faster, faster. People fall in love with computers. I have not. You notice I don't have a PowerPoint? I have no power, I have no point. At the university, I write on the board. Is that cursive? <laughs> I'm so old school, I'm cutting edge. No, somebody comes in your office, they ask you a question, you don't know it. What do you do? Google it. It's not there in 0.5 seconds. I don't know what's wrong with the system. It's so slow this morning. <laughs> no, it isn't. Isn't it true? And then small children ask us a question. And, well, I, I'm, I'm, come on, just spit it out. How are we responding to each other? This level in terms of anxiety and immediacy, all very well and good. But please understand, we were not created to live at the speed of light. We were created to live at the speed of life. To slow down. To be silent. When did I become a criminal? When it says 70 miles an hour on a sign on the highway, 
I thought that you're supposed to do, drive 70 miles an hour. And then people, particularly people with F-150s and big Ram Dodge pickups, they just can't even drive the speed limit. <laughs> Levels of anxiety on the highways right now. It's extraordinary. In La Crosse, you come into town, it's 45 miles an hour. Then you get right to the city limits, it's 25. So I come into town, I'm getting on my brakes, and I go over a viaduct, and then on the way down, I'm on my brakes because at the bottom of the hill, that's where the police sit. We cannot afford to lose another insurance company. I thought at least one fit person in the family ought to drive the speed limit. So I cross a major intersection. A young man in a white sports car pulls up, gets in my bumper, throws it in neutral, hits the gas. Run, run, run. I look up my rear view mirror. He's talking to me. He recognized I don't understand what he's saying, so he begins to use sign language. We drive like that for six blocks. It's a red light. He pulls up at the center lane, right lane, holding on a steering wheel. I pull up at the center lane. He looks over at me. I look back at him. I roll down my window. I wave. He rolls out his window. Oh, man, man, I'm sorry, man. I come to Chicago, man. I said, relax. Have a good night. You too, man. I said, well. Light turns green. He makes the right turn. I continue on down the road 25 miles an hour. I ask you, how many of us are in a fast lane getting absolutely nowhere? Faster and faster and faster. Busier and busier and busier. I, I, I just had that. That never happens to you. Frenzy is a contemporary form of violence. It's not that we're doing more. We just adopted this whole process of being a frenzy and anxiety. I just point out to you right now, the number one source of mental illness in our country today is anxiety. What do you think the opiate abuse is about? People have given their, way, their lives away to anxiety. Faster and faster and faster, busier and busier and busier. And we choose that. So to come away and sing and pray and be in the presence of each other, what a great gift. What a great gift. At my point in life, um, everything seems to be about 20 years ago, and it seems that everything was like 20 years ago, but 20 years ago this actually happened. 20 years ago, in, in uh, April, Priscilla came up to me and said, uh, we're going to go to uh, Orlando in the second week of August to do the Disney thing, and you're going to pay for it. <laughs> she said, we took a vote, the girls and I. It's a, it was four to nothing. You're paying for it, and we're going. <laughs> Holy smokes, I didn't want to go to Orlando, Florida, the second week of August to stand in long hot lines and go on rides that made me sick. Well, at that same time, a good friend of mine was diagnosed with, with cancer. He had had some bronchial problems. He went in, and they checked him out, and they said, here, take these, the medication. He comes back, and uh, two weeks later, it was worse. Let's take a picture. They found out he had a tumor pressed against his esophagus. Because of where it was, they could not do surgery, so that immediately they began radiation and chemotherapy. So I see him at church two weeks later, and I said, how you doing? He said, I'm doing really good. And it went, oh, hi, how you doing? No, I'm doing really good. Um, I've had counseling classes. How you doing? Tom, I'm doing really good. I said, tell me about it. He said, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of the cancer. I'm not afraid of the chemo and the radiation. I'm not even afraid of dying. The only thing I'm afraid of is becoming the guy I was before I got the cancer because that guy wasted a lot of his life making lists and worried about things that really didn't matter. 
running around trying to please other people, do all that kinds of things, that really didn't have any significance. I needed to hear that then, I need to hear it now. How many times in my life is God not number one, but I get myself away to anxiety and worry, confusion and stress? Now, I needed to hear that 20 years ago because we were going down to Orlando, and I thought, after I heard that, I'm going to go on this vacation, and I'm going to have a good time. I'm 66 right now. I could die this year, and if I do, my wife and daughters will gather at my grave and say, you know, at least we went on one vacation with our dad where he didn't pout. <laughs> so we went on some long hot rides, went on a ride. Sometimes I got sick. At night, though, went out and sat in a hot tub. Look at the stars. One night, I'm laying out there, and this is big stuff for a guy from across Wisconsin. Little girl, about five years of age, comes up and puts her foot in the hot tub. I don't want to go in the big pool. Oh, it's cold. Oh, it's hot. My dad, his name is Bill. He's in the big pool. He wants to come to the big pool. I don't want to go in the big pool. It's cold. It's hot. My mom, her name is Linda. She's back at the hotel room. My mom, her name is Linda. She's got a headache. She's back at the hotel room. But my dad, his name is Bill. He's in the big pool. He wants to come to the big pool. I don't want to go in the big pool. It's cold. It's hot. My sisters, they're in the big pool. They want me to come to the big pool. I don't want to go in the big pool. It's cold. It's hot. Just that moment, her father swims over and says, Is everything okay with Rachel? I said, She's fine, Bill. How's Linda? And a little girl recognizes him and paying attention. She looks out and says, hey, mister, do you belong to any kids? Hey, people, do you belong to any kids? You bet you do. They're all our children this week. Do you realize that every child in order to be healthy in this country needs five adults other than their parents who care about them? And what's really amazing, I want to just tell you this right now, wherever I go, all the adults are exhausted. Wherever I go, in every workplace, and I'm working with executives across the country right now, everybody is exhausted. And my question is this. If all the adults are exhausted, what are kids getting? What is our spouse getting? So Jesus just holds a picnic for 5,000. Nobody brought any food except the 11-year-old kid. I always think that the 11-year-old kid, his mom packed him a lunch. If you're going to be out in the country for a while, here, take these fish and bread. You might be hungry. I always kind of thought, we, you and I cannot uh, perform miracles, but we can all be the kid. Bring our lunch. So he, this, is the, this is the reading. So after they fed 5,000, which is quite an quite a undertaking, he was, he was a bit exhausted, wouldn't you think? Because then they had to pick up 12 other baskets, and then they had to get rid of the baskets. It, uh, isn't it right? After summer splash, Pete, as you go back into town, you're stopping at places, dropping things off, you're pretty exhausted. Just natural. Same thing as Jesus. You're doing his work. So then Jesus says to him, get in the boat. He insisted on the disciples getting aboard their boat and going to the other side while he himself sent the crowds home. And when he sent them away, he went up the hillside quite alone to pray. He went up the hillside quite alone to pray. 
we always talk about what Jesus did in his ministry, all the healing, all the teaching. But all that healing and teaching was preceded by going, along, going away and being silent, being in solitude and in prayer. Forty days in the desert. No internet access there. Here's about John's beheading. The grief of his cousin being killed goes away by himself to pray. The disciples are always looking for him. People want to be healed. Where'd you go? I was off by myself praying. Finds out that Lazarus has died. What does he do? Goes off by himself and he prays. Spends time in silence alone. What would Jesus do? Be quiet. David White, in a marvelous book called Consolations, just takes uh, 30 words that he really enjoys and then writes a chapter on each of the words. Thinking about words that we use all the time and then just kind of uncovering their latent meanings. And he says this, At the beginning of the 21st century, to feel alone or want to be alone is deeply unfashionable. To admit to feeling alone is to reject and betray others, as if they are not good company, and do not have entertaining, interesting lives of their own to distract us, and to actually to be alone is a radical act. To want to be alone is to refuse a certain kind of conversational hospitality and to turn to another door, another kind of welcome, not necessarily defined by human vocabulary. Friends, where are you alone with God? When's the last time you've been alone with Jesus? What's it like for you to be alone? How much time, Pete, do I have? People are paying way too, way too much attention. And, uh, you know, I'm a college teacher, and holy smokes, I mean, some of you are writing down what I have to say. Please don't do this. Not good for my ego. Here's a marvelous book by Terry Hershey called, uh, and he writes this, a marvelous story. It's, it's called The Power of Pause and uh, Becoming More by Doing Less. And he writes this, letting our souls catch up. An American traveler planned a long safari to Africa. He was a compulsive man loaded down with maps, timetables, and agendas. Men had been engaged from a local tribe to carry the cumbersome load of supplies, luggage, and essential stuff. And on the first morning, they all woke up very early and traveled very fast and went very far. On the second morning, they all woke up early, traveled fast, went very far. On the third morning, they all woke up very early, traveled very fast, and went very far. And the Americans seemed pleased. On the fourth morning, the tribesmen refused to move. They simply sat by a tree. The American became incensed. This is a waste of valuable time. Can someone tell me what's going on here? The translator answered, they're waiting for their souls to catch up with their body. The human heart goes the links of God. Dark and cold we may be, but this is no winter now. The frozen misery of centuries breaks, cracks, begins to move. The thunder is the thunder of the fall, the throw of the upstart spring. Thank God our time is now when wrong comes up to address us everywhere. 
until human persons take the longest stride of soul they ever took. Affairs are now soul-size. The enterprise is the exploration into God. This is our great hope. This is what we've been given as a gift. Time for silence, quiet moments of being with each other in the presence of God and all those who loved us. Three questions. One, who is somebody that you would want to honor this week who has given you the gift of faith? Who is somebody who has planted the seeds of faith, hope, and love in your life? And how are you nurturing them? Two, when and where are you alone? And what is solitude like for you? Three, how does your soul need to be refreshed? First, who and whose you are. Second, where and when do you experience solitude? So who, what, and when? What, what and where? And the third is that what needs to happen for you this week to refresh your soul? So you want to give directions, please? <laughs>